Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. You got your co-host, Justin Knott, here, and uh, really excited if y'all have been paying attention to the podcast. We have Kelly slowly working back in, so you'll be seeing her on a lot more interviews uh, to come, which is really exciting. And I'm excited to have, I think, our first recurring guest on is Dr. Brent Lacey. If you listen to um, if you've read the blog that Dr. Lacey has done or listened to, we were able to join him on a podcast. Dr. Lacey is a gastroenterologist who is passionate about helping physicians succeed with business and personal finance. And as a physician, he understands how overwhelming it can be to step out of clinical training and into a career. And he has been first, he has seen firsthand the lack of education on how to run a practice and manage finances. And through that, he has helped coach hundreds of families to succeed in eliminating debt and has spoken to physician groups around the country on topics related to business and personal finance. And that is why he founded the Scope of Practice website as well as podcast. And his goal is to help physicians learn how to manage their businesses successfully and master their personal finances. And so I'm really excited to have you on, Dr. Lacey, and, and thanks for gracing us with your time. And we're going to be talking about clinical efficiency, which you know a whole lot about, and I know our doctors are going to be eager to hear. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So getting started, uh, this is actually a topic that we haven't talked about outside of the blog post that you you wrote. And I think that it's something that is overlooked. And I know as a marketer, it is an absolute nightmare when it's not there. So we're going to talk about a lot of different recommendations today that you have to help practices improve their clinical efficiency, which I'm sure helps improve patient outcomes in the long run too. So get us started. What is kind of the first out of the gate from a clinical efficiency thing that you think that practices need to be focusing on? Well, I think the first thing starts with uh, really taking stock of where you're or how you're using your time. So what I usually recommend for folks is get a, get a, start by just taking a week and log all of your activities for a week straight and all day, every day. So how much time are you spending sleeping, eating, you know, hanging out with your family, and then at work, you know, how much time are you spending actually talking to patients? How much time are you spending you know, on phone calls, emails, writing notes, scheduling stuff, dealing with administrative hassle, break it all down, and then tally that up at the end of the week. And, and you'll be, I think, kind of amazed at what you're spending your time on. And so I think you got to start by taking a stock of where you are, because let's say you get to the end of that week and you find out, okay, I'm spending, I spent six hours this week on phone calls. That's why, that's one of the reasons why I'm coming home an hour and a half late every day. I need, that's something that I could potentially delegate to my staff. So, so it really starts by figuring out where you're using your time and then you can start to reallocate some of those uh, some of those things. And we'll talk through some hacks and some some tricks that you can do to kind of make the most use of your time when you're in clinic and that sort of thing. But um, but it really starts with just taking that baseline assessment and figuring out where you're starting from. And I, I would, because I'm even thinking about it, I was like, oh man, I bet I would be surprised if I did that out of, a, out of not being a physician. So I bet 
when you work with these physicians, I bet they've got to be amazed when they just do a self-assessment is like, man, and they probably for how long they've been doing it too, it's probably the sense of like, I've wasted so much time doing this, this or that or whatever it is. Yeah, it can be frustrating. And I think a lot of people have a pretty good insight into it, but even uh, still have a few areas where they end up being surprised. They're like, man, I didn't realize I was spending that much time on emails. Um, you know, or I didn't realize that I was that far over at the end of every day. And so, yeah, it's, it's really helpful to get an accurate assessment. You know, it's the same thing I do when I'm doing uh, coaching for personal finance is I still tell people, you know, go through your credit card receipts from the last month and just tally everything up and see what did you spend your money on? And people come back and the categories that always blow them away are how much they spent on Amazon, especially in the last year with COVID it's been absolutely crazy. And then how much you spend on eating out, which is less this year. Um, so the Amazon category has gone way up this year. So They're eating out is gone. Getting it all right. Oh yeah, <laughs> just trading so, um, for delivery. Yeah, but but it's amazing. You figure out you're like I'm spending that much money on that. Are you kidding me? So it's it's the same thing with your time. I mean, if you look at it, you go through and you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. I should not be spending this much time on my on emails, you know. And so it's it can be frustrating, but it's also very freeing. It's like when someone decides, hey, you know what? It's time for me to start losing weight. And they go sit down, they look at the scale, they're like, man, I hate myself, but you know what? This is where I'm starting. It's never going to get worse than this. I'm going to make it better. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, there's no better time to start than today, uh, <laughs> I guess, is, the, is a good point. So once they've done this self-evaluation, so to speak, and obviously, as you mentioned, start delegating some of the things, probably the easiest things I'm sure you recommend. You mentioned it, but let's talk about some of those, I guess, easiest hacks that you see from an implementation standpoint that can save physicians that are listening a lot of time and increase, obviously, the topic of efficiency. And I know one of them you even wrote about in the blog is one of your favorites, and that's kind of the charts and the notes part of it, which I know as a physician can suck a lot of time out of the room. So talk to us a little bit about what people can do to help increase um, their time there. Yeah. So there's a few things. Um, one of the things that I started doing when I was in residency that I, I got this tip from someone that I, has turned out to be a godsend for me is I, I write my notes before I ever see the patient. Like I write my notes a, a day ahead of time or, or I get to work early and write all my notes for the day that morning. And a lot of people hear that and they're like, okay, how in the world are you going to write your notes when you haven't even seen the patient? But once you get to a point where, and you can't do this on everybody necessarily, because there's going to be some people that show up and you have utterly no idea why they're coming, which we'll come back to that in a second, because that's also something you need to fix if that's happening. Um, (laughs) but, but, But you think about it, if you've got someone that you're seeing for the fourth time for their diabetes management, you know what their, you should know what their A1C is. You should know what their, what their labs are. You get those ahead of time. And so you can type your note ahead of time and say, okay, Mrs. Smith is here. Her hemoglobin A1C is 8.3. It's a little better than last time, but we really need to tighten up some things. Um, we're going to try increasing this. and I'm going to have her come back in, in three weeks. And so you can type that ahead of time you know, at, at work or at home when your kids are asleep, your family's asleep, before you are stretched in, you know, in the middle of clinic with five people grabbing you, hey, I need you to answer this. Hey, I need you to sign this thing. Hey, this patient needs a prescription refill. You know, you're alone. You have time. You can you you can flex your time with that, and it's amazing how helpful that is. So when I go into a note into a, an encounter with a note mostly pre-written, you know, and I'm I'm importing information from the referring doc. I'm importing their previous labs. I'm typing everything up. I'm I'm getting my assessment kind of started. That 
even if I can only write like 30% of the note ahead of time, and then I go, then as I'm, as I'm actually interviewing the patient, I sit there and I, I actually tweak it and I edit it and I go through. So that way it's all accurate. It saves a tremendous amount of time. So I'm able to regain that time to spend time coaching the patient, educating them, answering questions. And I don't feel like I'm rushed. I think that's one of the things that has been super, super helpful. Um, so by the time that I reach the patient's encounter, uh, you know, most of the note is written and it takes me maybe three minutes to edit a note and I'm, I sign it, I'm done. I, I mean, I never, ever leave clinic with notes undone is, is just so much better this way. Yeah. And that's, that was the first place that my head went is like, you've got to be able to be so much more present than I'm sure, which frustrates I would imagine a lot of providers because they're like, I just want to be able to kind of sit there and listen to my patient and not have to worry about like the notes and all the documentation. And you're doing it most of that ahead of time. So you really can listen and give a whole lot more advice, I'm sure, than a lot of other physicians that are chasing those notes. Absolutely. The other thing that you can do is if you don't have time to do that, or if you're unable to do that, or if you're in a position where you're the primary care doc, and so you you legitimately don't really have a great idea of what the patient's there for, then another thing that you can do that's very helpful is have the patient show up early. Now, sometimes this is easier said than done, but you know, but set up your systems to remind the patients to come in at a particular time, have them come in, you know, 20 or 30 minutes before their scheduled appointment time and sit down with your MA or sit down with someone on your staff or fill out whatever information on a clipboard and then have your staff go ahead and enter that information in. So that way, when you get there, all you have to do is look at the stuff that's been written, type the, you know, the, the history of the present illness and examine the patient, talk to them, coach them, and then type your assessment real quick. But as much as you can have that note written ahead of time, it is so helpful. It'll, it'll allow you the time back to be able to either finish a little early and catch up on other things or spend that extra time educating the patient. And that extra three minutes, that extra six minutes is, uh, is a huge difference maker. Yeah. And then, and like you said, I mean, it just, it's got to be, because I know we were even talking about it before about podcast episodes or, or kind of what we go through on our side with content creation is when you let things happen in real time versus like you're saying is kind of getting ahead of it and doing it the night before in a quiet moment or the morning of is then when all of those distractions occur during the day, which naturally happens, especially in the life of a physician in clinic, is you don't have to worry about that stuff. It's like, well, every single day I end my day with an hour and a half of note taking that just sucks all the time out of the room with my family. Yeah. And drains your joy and, and causes you to be just mentally exhausted. It's, it's exceedingly common, unfortunately. Um, and so you know, you're going to have to write the notes at some point I would rather, for me, I would rather get up an extra hour and a half early, go in, prepare all the notes for the day, look through all the labs and have everything prepped and ready to go. So I know exactly the right questions to ask during the, during the appointment. I'm not fumbling around and trying to find the lab values and stuff. I know exactly what I need to ask. It helps me direct the interview more efficiently. And it, it, you know, I can do an HPI in, you know, just in like in less than five minutes in most cases, because I've done some of that legwork ahead of time. It's tremendously helpful. So with that, obviously, um, you're putting your notes into your EMR system and everything. What are other things inside of, say, your EMR, because everyone's obviously interfacing with one, that you can do or recommend that, again, are going to save some time from the physician's um, standpoint? Yeah. So one of the things that would be incredibly valuable for folks is to 
is to have either uh, a setup somewhere in your electronic medical record or to just have a Word document that you have on your computer that has some of the standard language that you use all the time. So for example, let's say you're a primary care doc and you're going to have, you know that your diabetes education is the same every time. And so rather than sitting there and typing out, you know, please make sure you're checking your glucose like this and please make sure that you're taking your insulin like that. And please let us know when this happens and, you know, low sugar and this and that. Instead of typing that out every time, type it once and either save it on a Word document that you can just go to and copy and paste it. Or a lot of electronic medical record systems will have uh, macros or dot phrases or smart type or smart text or some, some kind of, a, of an option that will allow you to save that. And then you can type in some kind of shortcut. You type, you know, like dot diabetes education, and then, and then it just explodes your, your three paragraphs on diabetes education to print out for the patient. Um, I do that kind of thing for, so as a gastroenterologist, for example, I do that for my, um, my biopsies. I do it for my education on acid reflux. I do it for my, um, standard explanation of why we do colonoscopies for hermatochesia, things like that. And so rather than typing out the same thing every single time, it's a simple thing. I type it once I type it very clearly and well, and I can type it longer than I would as opposed to just like hematochesia will do colonoscopy. That's really not very helpful for the primary care doc. But if I type out a whole paragraph and say, this is the reason this is why we always recommend it. And I can just copy and paste it. Then they get more information and it's faster for me. Uh, That's, that's huge. And it's, that to me sounds like it's completely worth the time and energy is just spend a week or two and get organized on that front. Think through all the stuff that you've, you do more than a, a few dozen times with patients from a common standpoint and then get a key in place and you're going to save yourself tens of hundreds of hours, I'm sure, over the course of, of that hack. Yeah, I think of it like a time investment. I mean, just like you, you save $10 now so that you can have $100 40 years from now, right? So you're, you're investing the extra time now to create this extra document because a lot of people I, I can hear you out there, you're thinking like, I don't have time to make something like that. And yeah, it's an extra thing to add now. But think about this. The next time that you have that patient that you're going to do your diabetes education on, type everything out the way you want it, make it beautiful and perfect, and then copy that into a Word document and save it. Now you have your diabetes education one. Then the next time you do your hypertension education one, type it out, make it perfect, make it beautiful, copy and paste it into that same Word document, save your note. Now you've got hypertension education. And just do that every time. You can do it for well woman exam. You can do it for your pediatric you know, shot visits. You can do it for education pre-procedures you know, or, or post-operative visits or whatever. Um, but But over the course of a few weeks or so, you'll start to create this, this corpus of pre-prepared documents and it just, it it will add up very fast. And the number of hours, like Justin said, that you'll save on the back end is tremendous. Oh, I I could imagine. I mean, it just, my head goes right to just even like standard business operating procedures. It's like people spend so long not investing in that. And it's like, just take the time and just extremely document the next time that you do it. And then you have that in place and it's going to save you a whole lot of time and headache and efficiency if you just go ahead and do that. So that's, that's a great. So I've, I've got um, a question because I, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of them out there and I even have obviously because of our network and who we market to in terms of um, providers for the services we offer is the dictation side of things. There's, uh, I, you hear about it all the time. What do you recommend to improve the dictation side? Is it getting a dictation software or service or what? I mean, what do you think about it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I will tell you for me, 
I type, I don't, I don't dictate okay. because I can type a lot faster than I can, than I can dictate for me. The, the challenge for me is that if I dictate something, I then have to go back and review it later and make sure that it's correct and edit it and do whatever. So for me, dictation is like writing it twice and I can type pretty fast. And so I just type it one time and then, and then I'm done. And to me, that is a net time saving. If you're a super slow typist, the dictation thing may make sense. If you're going to do that, um, you've either got to get a good dictation software. And to be honest, I couldn't advise on anything specific. I mean, you could use something like Dragon or a lot of the electronic medical record systems will actually have something in it or get a transcription service or something. Um, but, you know, and you can play around with that. But, um, but yeah, if you're going to do that, make sure you pick something that actually will be a time saver. So, for example, I, I've, I've seen, I work with a doctor up at the hospital that um, likes to dictate as he types. Or likes to dictate his note, and it's it's painful to listen to because he'll sit there. It's like patient was hypertensive and he was having chest pain. I'm sitting here like I could have typed three notes by the time that you dictate this man. Yeah. Um, so it's so you need to figure out if which one's the the better the better time saver for you. But if you, I will encourage people that if you are not a fast typist, if you can create that word document or those macros that I was talking about, where you have those pre, those prepared paragraphs, you can just copy and paste. You may not have to type a whole lot. You may be able to copy and paste a lot of stuff, and that may save you on the back end. Um, the other thing you can do is if you know that, for example, you're going to ask the, about the same 12 questions every time, you can create stuff that your MAs can set up for you. So let's say you're doing a, you know, a well woman exam and you want to ask about depression scores. You want to ask about menopausal symptoms. You want to ask about, you know, when was your last period, things like that. And, you know, you, you can have those paragraphs that are paired that your MAs can put in there for you and they can ask all the questions and then they type it up and it's done for you. So while you're seeing, while you're seeing patient three, um, they're already prepping patient four. And by the time you get there, they've written, they've written most of the note for patient four. Um, so that's, that's where some of that delegation and learn and starting to work parallel processes becomes very valuable. With all of this, where do you think that this training, the staff, from the standpoint of the physicians got so much on their plate and where should they get started in from a leadership standpoint, working with their staff to get the most out of them for the ability to spend as much time with the patient? Because again, in all the chaos, I'm sure you end up fielding a thousand questions, but I'm sure half of them, if you train your staff the right way, could be self-managed and self-contained without having to bring you into the equation and suck your time. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's massively worth the time investment to do that. So there's a, there's a couple things, there's a couple things that you can do. Um, so one thing you mentioned training the staff, so you can have some, either some periodic training sessions where you sit down and, and talk to them about workflow and efficiency and processes. But honestly, I think it's very helpful to also train your staff on the diseases that you actually treat. So it's very helpful for me if I want my staff to be triage uh, people and have and be, act as kind of gatekeepers, the more that they understand about the conditions that we treat, the better they're able to direct things to me. So, for example, if I've got a patient who calls and says, "Hey, I'm having abdominal pain um, and I'm kind of worried about it," if the staff just hears that and goes, "Okay," um, they'll and they task me and say, "Hey, Dr. Lacey, this patient's got abdominal pain. They're kind of worried." Well, I don't know what to do with that. Is that someone that needs to go to the emergency room or is that mm -hmm. someone that they're have their IBS is flaring for the 90th time this month and they just need some reinsurance? I don't know. 
And so the, the more I can train them on how to recognize some red flags and, and how to you know, pick some of these things apart, the better they're able to direct questions to me. And sometimes they never even have to get to me. Sometimes it's the, they, they'll, they'll, they'll know enough about a particular condition to say, okay, here's what Dr. Lacey is going to ask you to do next. So let's go ahead and get that set up and I'll let him know that this is happening. And then I see a thing is like, hey, FYI, doc, Mrs. Jones is going to go and get this lab check for you. And then uh, when you see it, you know, you can call her about her abdominal pain. Awesome. Then that's a quick thing. I signed that. It took me three seconds to read that as opposed to a 10 minute chart review to figure out what in the world is going on. That is, yeah, that's, that is huge because I just, uh, we've seen it so many times like going into offices and just being so familiar with healthcare is that just sucks so much time out of the room. And I even know as a patient, when you call and when you run into the offices that you feel like the staff that you're talking to actually knows what's going on versus everything's got to flow through the physician is just got to be a nightmare. So that that's huge. Where do well, you- the other, the other thing, I'll, the other thing I'll say about that is that, is that when you're training your staff, at the risk of sounding pompous about this, I, I, I think that there's something that you need to establish as a, a basic understanding in any physician's office. The most important person in the office is the patient. Okay, it has to be that way. It is it is imperative that that be the case. However, the person whose time is the most valuable is the physician, and so and the reason for that is that that is the only way that you can bring revenue into the business. Now. We don't do great business so that we can make a lot of money. We, we run a great business so that we can stay open and take great care of our patients. But you have to manage the business side of things in order to do that. And so it's important to train the staff to say, okay, look, the most important person's, the, the person whose time is most valuable in the office is the physician because everybody else costs money and the physician makes money. And so the only way the business will run effectively is if everybody is trained that the goal is to make the physician's time as efficient as possible, which means that you need to train the staff to be constantly looking for ways that they can solve problems or or get the maximum amount of readiness for the physician so that the physician is not wasting time. And training the staff on that, in addition to training them on the medical stuff, is an absolute imperative. So how, with that said, you as the physician, how, what resources or tools, specifically say video, for instance, can you be doing? Again, it's all about this training stuff. What other resources can you put in place to help maximize your availability and time as much as possible? So it depends a little bit on the size of your practice. So let's say you are a solo practice or it's, it's, it's two docs and uh, a nurse and two MAs and one person at the front desk. Yeah. Well, in that case, the docs are, are probably taking a really hands-on role in terms of uh, leadership. And so you're, you're probably going to have to spend some time coaching people and, and really w- walking through different things. And some of that is going to be you know, maybe once a week at the staff meeting, maybe once a week you have a staff meeting and get everybody together and say, okay, here were some of the things that happened this week that caused some inefficiencies. Here's how we can work on them going forward. And a lot of it is just kind of on the job training and it's trial and error. Now, if you're in a bigger practice, you know, eight, 10 docs, and you got a staff of 15, 20 people, in all likelihood, you have an office manager or, or a nurse supervisor or someone who is, um, who is a layer of leadership between you and the rest of the staff. And it is absolutely critical to have that because if you're in a bit, if you're in a, if, if you're, so think about this as a physician, like if you're seeing patients from eight o'clock to five o'clock and they're, you know, in your family practice doc, you may be seeing them every eight to 12 minutes or something. It's really not 
reasonable to expect you to also be managing everything in the office. That's simply not realistic. Um, and so either you have to cut back your time seeing patients in order to have time to be able to allocate to management of the office, or you get an extra layer of leadership between you and the rest of the staff. And in that case, it's really you coaching and training one person and getting them to coach and train everybody else. That's, that's a really great point. And what, because we talked about a lot focus toward kind of the internal staff, but obviously the patient is heavily in the middle of this equation, as you mentioned. Uh, what resources and video content can the office be creating or using to kind of uh, eliminate some of the, I don't want to call it stupid questions, but a lot of the stuff that every patient is going to have to engage with, whether it's consent or post-operative stuff that can really help save you as a physician, but even just as most important is the other staff members that are engaging a lot with the physician, with the uh, uh, patient. Yeah, it's a great question. So it, it depends a little bit on the type of procedures that you're doing. It's challenging for a surgeon to be able to do that kind of thing because almost every surgery is pretty individualized. Yeah, that makes so sense. let's say, let's say you're doing a partial bowel resection for something. Well, if I've got someone who's got, um, well, I'll give you an example from today. I had a young lady that came in that we unfortunately diagnosed with rectal cancer and I'm sending her to the surgeon. Well, that counseling session of what, that, what they think is likely to happen in terms of the surgery and the outcomes and that sort of thing is very different than someone that I'm going to send them for a proximal colon cancer because the management of that is just very different. So that, that can be a little bit challenging, but for the higher volume you know, consistent procedures. So for example, for colonoscopies, uh, it's the same counseling session every time, right? Or for, uh, for PRK or LASIK for ophthalmology or for, uh, for cataract, you know, or for lens replacement or for cataract fixing or whatever, those can be the same. So there's a few different things that you can do. I've, uh, I remember when I got my PRK done about, uh, 10 years ago or so, they, they had a, uh, a, they, they had these little, these DVD players. I'm sure you can just put it on YouTube now, um, but, or, uh, or have an app or something like that, but they, they had these little DVD players. They would have you go sit and watch in the lobby. And it was one of the two ophthalm, ophthalmology surgeons talking about the procedure and what to expect and how to, what the post-op care was going to be. And you just go sit and watch the thing and then, you know, go, uh, go back and tell the person at the front desk, Hey, I watched the video. They have you sign a thing and you're good to go. And then, they had some options to be able to talk to the physician if you had some questions or set up a separate appointment for extra counseling or whatever. But um, honestly, they did such a good job producing this video that it pretty much answered everything. So that's an example of something that you can do. The, the other option that you can do is to, is to delegate it to someone who's able to do it either over the phone or in person, but make that their primary job. So one of the things that's helpful is if you've got someone that's specializing in one thing, they get very efficient at it very quickly, right? So if you've got a nurse who is being pulled in 12 different directions, like, okay, I need you to go educate this patient on diabetes. Then I need you to go and give this person a flu vaccine. Then I need you to go and give this, you know, check this person's vital signs and see if they're taking their blood pressure medication properly, right? And they've got all these different things. Then they, they constantly have to keep reshifting their mindset to figure out what to do next. But if you have one person, let's say for the colonoscopy education, you have one person that you, you send the, the patient to and say, um, you know, coach them on how, to do, on how to prep for their colonoscopy, they can get their spiel down very, very efficiently and very quickly, and they can really churn and burn. Um, and so that's another way you can do it is have one dedicated person that is responsible for the majority of it. But again, it depends on what kind of procedures you're doing. 
Yeah, I think that that's great. And and just identify the ones that are replicatable and see again, it's all little it's all little things that we're talking about here that can end up adding up to a huge time saver overall. So Obviously, we talk about it a lot with even the marketing strategies that we do, but we've talked about a lot of different clinical efficiency things. And there's obviously a balance between um, making sure you're doing a good job as far as what the patient is experiencing with trying to maximize as much time as possible. Are there things like secret shoppers or things that you recommend to kind of test the product, so to speak, as far as what patients are experiencing in the clinic and try to get as much feedback to continually try to identify other areas of improvement? Um, that could end up either frustrating the patient or suck time out of the room. Yeah, absolutely. And getting that feedback is is critical. So um, one of the things that you and Kelly talk about on your podcast a lot is uh, the idea of getting patient reviews, right? And so, and really maximizing that. And so you're going to get, a, you're going to get some feedback on the reviews of, you know, this, pa- this, this clinic was fabulous or this clinic man, I, I just felt like the waiting room experience was, was awful. I had to fill out 98 things on the clipboard. Okay, well, that's that's some good feedback that you're going to get. But but with the uh, the secret shopper concept, I really love that idea. And so uh, this is something I've seen folks do, um, you know, a few different ways. But the basic idea is you get someone to come in and audit the practice essentially. And so it's all you know you can. So one example of some way you could do it is have you know a friend or a neighbor or someone in the community come in and just do the entire patient experience from beginning to end. You know, starting with scheduling the appointment on the phone coming in, you know, going through the motions of meeting the staff and filling out the items on the clipboard and then give you some feedback at the end and say, okay, well, here's, here's what I didn't like. Here's what worked really, really well. Here's some areas where I could see some improvement. And it's, if you're going to do it that way, which I think is a really cool way to do it. I've seen it work and I've seen it work for a lot of different practices. Make sure to not tell the staff that this person, that these people are going to be coming. Okay. This is the Hawthorne effect is the, 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 observation of a phenomenon changes the phenomenon. So if your staff knows they're being observed, they're going to modify their behaviors and you won't get really good data. Um, so, but don't tell anybody you've got someone coming in, just, you know, grab your neighbor and say, Hey, you know, can I give you a hundred dollars to, you know, come in and pretend to be a patient for me for an hour and uh, have them just walk through the process and then give you some feedback afterwards. You do that with four or five people and you'll get some good feedback, some things that you can take action on. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I could say, I mean, that's literally putting yourself in the patient's shoes, which is one of the major things that you're trying to improve the efficiencies here. I think that that is a really great idea. It's obviously been used in like the restaurant industry for years and years and years to improve performance. And so why not apply it in a clinical setting? And I think that that's a great idea that I, you are actually the first one to ever bring that up. And I'm like, nah, that makes a lot of sense because we hear it like what Kelly talks about the referral ecosystem process all the time and trying to evaluate what that flow from practice to practice looks like and make sure that the patient's not um, getting, the ball's not getting dropped there, the notes aren't going back, but to just do it, do a self-assessment on, uh, assessment on your practice through a secret shopper is I think a really, really good idea and would probably be very enlightening, especially the first couple of times that you do it. Absolutely. I'll tell you another place that would be really helpful. And this is, you know, you guys are really familiar with this concept is using your physician liaisons to to, if you have them, or just reaching directly out to uh, other practices and just and just ask, hey, um, you know the practices that you interact with, you know, what what's the feedback that you get from your from your patients? Because I guarantee you, like let's say for example, in my practice, I get referrals from the community all the time. I get referrals from oncology, from surgery, from from primary care all the time, and and so it is 
very normal for patients to go to a specialist and then go back to their primary care doc and have something to say about it. Oh, Dr. Lacey was great. I loved his staff. It was such a great experience. It made me feel so comfortable about a weird topic or man, that guy, what is his problem? How did, how can you possibly send me to that, that guy? And so they tend to have very definite opinions. And so if you reach out to the, to the, you know, your primary care docs or your referring docs, you will find that they are very eager to let you make their job easier. And so if you call them and ask them, Hey, listen, I, I really want to make sure that we're giving you guys the best possible service. What's some feedback you've gotten from your patients about coming to our, our staff? Is there something that we could be doing that's better? Have you gotten complaints that maybe our scheduling software is confusing or it's hard to find our parking lot or, or anything like that? You know, how can we make things better and, and let your referring docs or the, or the docs that you refer to, um, give you some feedback. That's another way that you can do it. I think that's great. Yeah. I wish Kelly was on the podcast right now. She would, um, she'd be smiling ear to ear that you just said that. Cause I, I, I think that that's so true and we've seen it. I mean, I've seen it time and again, working alongside her. Like we had an instance very early on when she was teaching me a physician liaison marketing, a guy that had lost a lifelong referral, like a very strong referral because they had uh, some patients that were medical tourists would come in every single year for the same uh, procedural operation and checkup and all of that stuff. And the ball got absolutely dropped dealing with these people. And it was on the notes to them. It was some staff member, some staff issues, and that relationship was completely dismantled. But he never bothered calling and checking in on that relationship for years. And it was one simple phone call an acknowledgement that the ball was dropped and the willingness to repair the relationship. And then all the, fl- the referral valve opened up again. And so just doing an easy, just, just go ask some of your main referrals and it would be, and, and take it all in and then do what you need to with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's keeping those uh, relationships open with the, with your other, either your referring docs or the docs to whom you refer is incredibly valuable. So if I ever get a patient that is, that has a really, you know, bad complication or, uh, um, or, or, or bad diagnosis or something really confusing or something that's really strange. I'll call the primary care doc. Cause you think about like what we've been talking about. If you've got a, if you've got an eight minute visit with a patient and they're coming in for four different things. And one of them is I just went to Dr. Lacey and got my colonoscopy and he said, I had some inflammation on my colon or something. And they're like, what the heck does that mean? You know, all of a sudden that's a 10 minute derailing of their, of their schedule. And now they've got a negative impression of you. So, but if you call them ahead of time and say, Hey, just want to give you a heads up. You're probably going to be seeing Miss Jones again pretty soon. Uh, I think she's got Crohn's disease and I'm waiting for biopsies to come back and I'll keep you posted. That's, that's a way to build lifelong, you know, loyalty from a referring doc. And I think the, it sounds scary, but I know even again, all of the years working with Kelly, the physicians that were willing to do is something as simple as say, if you interact with a physician that wants my cell phone, you can give it out. 99% of the time, it will not be used to that frequency and it will be used for situations like that. But just having that kind of trust relationship, like I can text him if I have something urgent about a patient, just like strengthens and solidifies that relationship like almost instantly. And whether it's your cell phone or not, it's just really about like you said, is being really readily available and not taking those referrals for granted because it's simple things like that that build lifelong referrals. Well, and bringing it back to the efficiency thing, it makes the clinic more efficient because if I've got a, if I've got a referring doc that's, you know, worried about a guy's 
elevated liver test. And he shoots me a text and said, Hey, Brent, I got this guy. Uh, his ALT was 300 and I'm worried about him. I'll text him back. Yeah. Do me a favor, check an INR for me and I'll tell my staff to call him and we'll see him tomorrow. No worries. You know, and that's, that's a, a 30 second thing. And I handed it off to my staff and now I've got that guy ready to go for tomorrow. Right. And that's, that's super fast. And so that, that, you know, that trust that you build between referring providers can enhance the efficiency of your clinic operation as well. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on and showing your sharing your wisdom. What I love doing interviews with you and talking shop with you is you really do kind of give us a peek behind the curtain and really talk, I think, straight to the physician uh, with all the experience that you have working with so many physicians. And so I always think that uh, it's invaluable time spent um, when we get to sit down and chat with you about different things like clinical efficiency. So uh, I know in the busy life of a physician, uh, like we just talked about, time is time is money and time is value. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of that wisdom with us. Absolutely. And uh, before we wrap, if anybody does want to find out more about you and who you are, I know you're really active on LinkedIn, as well as your podcast that I mentioned at the beginning, uh, tell them how to get a hold of you and we'll make sure that we have it in all the show notes and everything. Yeah. So, uh, well, thanks for that. So the website is thescopeofpractice.com. And through that, you can access the, the blog, the podcast, um, and all the free resources. And so I've actually got something to, that uh, your listeners can download if they want that'll help them get started. So it's, uh, it's I call it the 10-Day Simple Clinic Makeover. So it's uh, one challenge every day of one thing that you can do that will make your clinic more efficient. Uh, better customer service. It's one small thing that you can change every day. And after 10 days, you'll be amazed at how much you've improved things. Um, so you can download that at thescopeofpractice.com slash clinic makeover. So thescopeofpractice.com slash clinic makeover. And it's, that's free to download. So that's just for you guys. Excellent. And we will have that uh, in the show notes as well. So you can easily uh, get over there by just jumping in the show notes. And uh, thank you again, Brent, for uh, coming on the podcast and look forward to having you on again soon to talk about another part of growing your uh, practice. Always happy to come. Thanks. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.